of you have ever built a house? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've actually built a house. And I don't necessarily mean like getting there and building it with your own hands, although some of you have probably done that. I mean, going through the process, you know, you've got to get the blueprints, you've got to get, you know, the, the financing finalized, you maybe have to hire the contractors. There's a whole lot of work that goes into building a house. Now, I've, I personally, I've never had that experience. I've never had the experience of building a house. I always wanted to, but I have bought a few houses I bought a few houses, so I've been through that process a few times, and it's always kind of fun, kind of stressful, kind of a lot of different things, but I've learned a lot from buying houses. I've learned, you learn things after you do that a couple of times, like what to watch for, what are the things that are warning signs, red flags, what are the positives, and I remember a few years ago when, when my family, when we moved to Hilliard, Ohio, we bought a house there. And it was a, it was a, it was a nice little house, nothing flashy, very simple, but it was unique. Because you see, this house was built in 1957, okay? So not super old, but that house, it's not a new house. Been around for a little while, all right? And it was the only house in this neighborhood of maybe 300 houses that had a basement. Because you see, the water, air, the water table, is that what you call it? You know, it was so high in that area, you couldn't have a basement or in this. But this house did. And I remember the home inspector going down into the basement of this house, looking around. And man, it was a heck of a basement. It was, I mean, it was a heck of a basement with all the concrete and the cinder blocks and the, the stone on the walls. I mean, and he looked at me at one point and he said, you know, this thing's not going anywhere. Because it was built really, really strong. And that's just kind of stuck with me. And it was, too. That was a heck of a house. It was built on a strong foundation. It, it, I, I, if, if there's ever a nuclear winter, all that's going to be left is three cockroaches, Keith Richards, and this house. <laughs> it will not go down. I tell you what. Compare that to a few years before, I was living in a, a small town, which was kind of a bunker town for uh, a larger a, a larger town, Bloomington, Illinois. We were living outside of there, and you know, Bloomington, State Farm is there, big, huge employer. A lot of people like to live outside of town and then commute in for work. Well, we lived in one of those towns, and in this town, there was a new subdivision that was built next to the golf course, okay? Town had a golf course subdivision, you know, and these were all really nice-looking homes, right? Really, really nice-looking houses. But I remember hearing from a friend of mine who was an elder at my church at the time. He said, he said, you know, they look really nice, but I know the contractors that built them. And I know they didn't put a lot of time onto those foundations, and I didn't think a whole lot about that till I went over to a friend of mine's house who had one of those houses. He lived there, and we were down in his basement, I don't know, doing, doing something. And uh, I remember looking over at the wall, the concrete wall, and I saw a big old crack in the concrete wall in his basement. And I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything, didn't make a whole lot of it, but that stuck with me, right? You know, it's like, oh man, what does that mean for the future of this house? This house is only a few years old. What, what's going to happen later on down the line? Two houses, two different looks, and two very different foundations. And so today's question that I want us to consider as we're kind of going through all of this teaching that Jesus gives us is this. What are you building your life on? 
What are you building your life on? You see, everybody is building a life. The question is, what are our materials? We're wrapping up today in our Thy Kingdom Come series. And with this message, we're looking at Jesus answering the big question after all of his teaching. So what? What does this mean for me? He's given his master class in how his kingdom on earth is to function on what he desires for us and how we should be. And then he brings it all in to this focal point and the, at the end and he chooses to do it through a story. He chooses to do it through what we call a parable. And it challenges us to think about what we are building our lives on. Let's go ahead and read the words of Jesus. Let's look at what he said, and then we're going to dive into kind of breaking this apart and seeing how this applies to us. All right, we're going to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I'll be using the NLT today for most of this, except for one, one scripture. Let's read. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Raise your hand if you've heard this story before. Okay, most of us have heard this story before. Now, I grew up in church, all right? I heard the church, the the term used recently, church brat. I guess that's me. You know, I was a church brat. I've been in church since I was, you know, since I can remember. I've always grown up in church. And who can, can you remember, those of you that have been in church for a while, remember this story from Sunday school? Oh yeah, and we had we had the song and everything, but I don't remember the motions very. But like the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and the rains came tumbling down, you know. And it's great because it helps us to remember. It helps us to remember that story. I swear, when I was in Sunday school, there would be Sunday school for me was you know flannel graphs and glue sticks and you know scissors and paper and about three stories: Noah's Ark, Daniel in the lion's den. And the wise man who built his house on the rock. Like that was Sunday school for me as a kid. But the thing is, this is not just a Sunday school story. Okay? This is not just a Sunday school story. This is not just some little kind of thing that we can sort of scoot over to the side and sort of compartmentalize as being for small children. It's really not. This is every bit as relevant to us today as it is to little kids. And we should hear this story consistently throughout our lives because it is so very, very important. So it's not a Sunday school story. And we're going to see what it has to mean for us today. So we're going to break it down just a little bit. We're going to go to the first verse that we read. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. And we're going to see something very interesting that Jesus does right out of the gate. As he starts wrapping this, wrapping up his sermon on the mount. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now. I'm a pretty simple guy. Some would say I'm a pretty simple-minded guy. But that's okay. It's how I'm wired. It's how I'm made. And I like it when everything kind of fits in its proper place. And when I read this, this passage here, something occurred to me. 
that Jesus has just illustrated for us an equation for what he wants us to do, an equation for wisdom. And so I gave it a really complicated name, a really classy name. I called it the wisdom equation. Aren't I creative? Wow. I know, right? It's called, I call it the wisdom equation. And that is this. Knowledge plus application equals wisdom. Those who listen to my words and do what it says are what? Wise. And the thing about an equation, about a mathematical equation, is you have to have both parts for the equation to make sense. Two plus zero does not equal four, depending upon who you ask. But still, two plus zero does not equal four. You need the correct parts of the equation to come to the right conclusion. For example, let's go back to our house metaphor for a second. If I have knowledge about how to build a house... But I don't apply that knowledge. That's kind of like me going and I get all the materials. I get the wood. I get the hardware. I get all this stuff. And I drop it right in a big hole. And I say, there's my house. Is that a house? No, it's useless. There's nothing there. The parts are there. All the pieces of the house is there, but it hasn't been assembled. There's been no application. Likewise, if we have application, if we have action, but we don't have the knowledge, we can't apply things that we don't know. And so, in that same analogy, that would be like taking the pieces and putting them together and ending up with this kind of Frankenstein's monster structure. can't live in that. That's not useful. That's not worthwhile. You need both pieces of the equation to be able to build something that's useful, to be able to build that house. I heard this quote the other day, and I just I, I had to share this with you. I thought this was so profound. This is fantastic. And it relates exactly to what we're talking about here. It goes like this. We cannot apply what we don't know, but we can know a whole lot more than we apply. We can apply what we don't know, but we cannot apply what we don't know, but we can know a lot more than we apply. Think about that for a second. That hits me right at home as somebody who has, like I said, grown up in the church, right? Soaking up all the knowledge, learning about the scriptures, learning about God. How does that translate into wisdom in my life if I'm not applying what I have learned? The truth is this. We can be biblically educated beyond our level of obedience. We can know a whole lot more than we actually utilize and use. Now, I know Chris likes to get up here and he quotes theologians and famous preachers and guys like that. I guess I'm a little different. I'm going to quote a fictional character to you for a second. But I really like this. It goes something like this. With great power comes great responsibility. It's a great quote. There's lots of truth in it, right? I mean, there's lots of truth in it. Good old Uncle Ben. I mean, this is this has become one of the most quoted lines in movie history now, right? Might seem a little might seem a little cheesy, but you think about it for a second here. Jesus would look at us and he would say, "The wise man listens to me and follows it." You see, we are responsible to apply the knowledge that we have. Now, he wants us to help us do that, but it is up to us to take what we have learned and put it into action. It is so incredibly crucial. We have that responsibility. We need knowledge and we need action and application to be wise. And Jesus says that is the goal. Let's look at the parable now because then he moves on from that into the parable and paints this amazing picture of what it actually looks like. Let's let's read verses 25 
and 25 to 27. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What Jesus just did is he gave us an illustration of the equation in action. He just showed us through this story that we can see clearly in our mind's eye what exactly he means. And the interesting thing I found about this illustration, you see, Jesus preached this sermon from what was called the Mount of Beatitudes. That's what we call it now. It wasn't called the Mount of Beatitudes back then because he was literally the inventor of the Beatitudes. And so it came to be known this because this is where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you look up at the screen, I I found a cool picture this And this is roughly uh, where people think he would have preached from. This would be similar to the view that he had while giving the Sermon on the Mount. And you can see there in the background, there's the Sea of Galilee back there. Now, the interesting thing about the area around the Sea of Galilee is the sand, or excuse me, the soil is extremely sandy. It's extremely loose and sandy. But the thing is, in the hot summer months, this sandy soil would dry up and become extremely hard to the point where if you weren't from the area, you might think, you might be fooled into thinking it was solid ground, okay? Now, everybody that knew the geography of this area knew that eventually that rainy season's going to come. All right, the level of the the sea is going to rise a little bit. Things are going to get really, really damp. And that what you thought was hard soil is going to turn a little softer. And whatever you built on that is just going to get washed away. People in the area knew that, knew the secret that if you wanted to build in this area, you had to dig. You had to go down feet, multiple feet to find the bedrock to build on. And if you did, you're golden. Your structure is not going to go anywhere. But you see, Jesus leans into this. He leans into this analogy. We have two characters and both of them were in the storm. And what Jesus is emphasizing here is that the storms in life will come. The storms in life will come. This is guaranteed. I just want to... um, I want to say a quick word, just in caution, because I hear so much of this today, and I just want us to constantly be on guard, and I want us to constantly be discerning and staying in the scriptures, because there's an awful lot of voices I hear out there that tell us things, like if if you just come to Jesus, if you just accept Jesus, and if you just do this, that all those storms in life are just going to go away. It is not true. Jesus is there to be with us through the storm, but the storms will come. The question is how you're going to weather it and who you're going to weather it with. That's the question. If we look back just a little earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already said this. He said, For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. You see, here's the thing. Everybody's going to get rained on. Everybody, everybody gets rained on. And those storms might look different for each one of us. 
You know, for some, it might be a loss. For some, it's that bad phone call you get from the doctor. You know, it might be that bad news. For some of us, it's that anxiety that we're constantly trying to push down and deal with and get rid of. The storms in life will come and they will be challenging. So here's a, here's a question. When is the right time to build a foundation for a house? This is not a trick question. I'm not trying to lead you into anything. It's pretty obvious, right? You build the foundation first. You start with the foundation. That is the beginning point. And unless the foundation is firm and solid and level, the rest of the, the, rest of the structure is going to be in a load of trouble. And the thing is, you don't want a storm to come to find out that you should have spent more time on your foundation. That is a bad time to figure out that you, your foundation wasn't secure. Anybody remember the, um, the big tornado that blew through Joplin, Missouri about 10 years ago or so? Do you remember that? Remember that? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a horrible, horrible thing. Blue skies, perfect day, the weather was great, and then this mile wide tornado literally out of nowhere went through Joplin and wrecked most of the town. It was a catastrophe. Absolute catastrophe. And I remember there was this video going around on YouTube about this couple like they they videoed themselves. They were in like a Walmart parking lot sitting in the car trying to ride out this storm and and they're just there's the car is shaking and the rain's coming down and they're crying like why didn't we just stay home? You know, the middle of the storm is a really lousy place to find out. You should have had something more firm underneath you. I learned this lesson the hard way once myself. Thankfully, not with a house, but we used to have a trampoline. And this is when we lived in central Illinois. Anybody out here ever lived in central Illinois? I'm talking central. I'm talking plains. I'm talking so flat you can see for about 10 miles, right? Okay. Now, what's unique about this area and the geography is the winds. The winds out there get absolutely insane. And we had this trampoline in our backyard, and it was all kind, it was kind of a nice big open backyard. And I had kind of this love-hate relationship with the trampoline. You know, I loved it because the kids had fun on it, and it was a good time, and they'd get out a lot of energy. But I hated mowing around this thing. It was a nightmare. And so I, I, I didn't stake it down because I liked being able to go into the backyard, pick it up, Move it over, cut my grass, and then put it back so everything's nice and pretty and even, right? That was all great until, until that fateful day. Big storm blew in, and we were getting like 85 mile an hour straight winds, just, you know, and you're in the house when these winds hit, and you could feel the whole house bend under the weight of the winds. If you've lived there, you know what I'm talking about. And I remember having one of those, oh no, moments with the trampoline. And I remember going to the back door and opening it up. And as I'm watching these winds blow, and given it's thunder, lightning, like it's, it's going outside is a bad idea right now. I look into the backyard and I literally watch as the winds blow in and they pick up my trampoline off the ground and spin it in the air like a flying saucer. And I'm just, I, I am, I, what can I do? I, what can I do? If I, and, and eventually after about two or three seconds, it finally lost its balance, tilted and took off like a giant wheel rolling down the street. And thankfully, thank God, it didn't hit anybody's cars or anything. It just destroyed itself right in the middle of the road, came to pieces. But I tell you what, 
I should have put those stakes down. I should have taken care of that before the storm came. In the middle of the storm is a bad time to find out you should have secured everything. And you see, we are all building a life that starts with this foundation. We are all building a life and we start with the foundation. So the question becomes, how are we doing this, right? Because every single day we make decisions. Every single day. And every single decision is like a brick on the wall of our life. Some more so than others, but every single decision. Did you know that in any given day, you're going to make approximately 35,000 decisions? You've probably made a few hundred of them just since I started talking because you keep having to tell yourself to pay attention. (laughs) All the time. We're constantly, we're constantly making decisions. And each one of those decisions affects how we build the house. So what I want to do is I want to look at some questions. I want to look at some some rationales by which we might use to make decisions. Now, I've broken this into two categories. I've broken this into what I'm calling ambiguous questions because they might be wise, they might not be wise. I don't want to call them foolish questions, right? Because sometimes they are relevant, but they're more general. They're not necessarily specifically wise, okay? And then we're going to look at some wise questions and see what we can see between the two. Ambiguous questions we ask ourselves. Will it make me happy? That can be reasonable, I suppose, sometimes. But I tell you what, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. You want to be happy or do you want to be joyful? Next question. Will I feel good doing it? Boy, oh boy, is that not like the main mantra of the world we live in? Right? If it feels good, do it. It doesn't mean it's good for me, but I'm going to do it if it feels good in the moment. Another question. What will others think of me? You know, do we allow ourselves to be controlled, and do we allow ourselves to be overly influenced by how we feel we are perceived? Hmm. And then just, is it okay? Maybe is it legal? Can I get away with it? Is it okay to do? You know, these are not necessarily questions of wisdom. Now let's look at these other questions. Will it increase my joy? Is there a long-term benefit? Is it healthy for me? Is it beneficial? Will it better me? Here's a big one. Will it please and honor God? How many of you, when you're in the grocery store, trying to decide whether or not to buy those overly expensive eggs, think to yourself, man, if I buy these eggs, will this please and honor God? Maybe you do. Maybe we should. But I tell you what, that is something, you put that as part of your foundation, it'll come through in all your decisions. Lastly, is it righteous? Is it good in the sight and in the eyes of God? You see, how we build matters. How we build matters. Every single decision, every single brick on that wall of our life, everything matters. So, what is this? What am I holding right now? A ruler. A ruler, yes. This was apparently a political advertisement ruler. But it's what I could find laying around the church office. It's amazing how little I seem to use a ruler anymore. But looking at this ruler, I want us to kind of picture something. So I was talking to Mitch a couple months ago, and, and he shared this with me. So I can't take credit for it because he's here and he, he, he's watching. <laughs> so Mitch came up with this, everybody. But imagine for a second that this ruler represents the time that we have in life. Now, 
For the sake of argument, okay, you might laugh at me a little bit, but for the sake of argument, let's say this is about 77 years, which is the average American lifespan, okay? It's about 77 years. Lots of folks at first service just laughed at me because they're like, ha, 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 you need a bigger ruler. (laughs) I was like, touche. But in in the course of 77 years, you know, I I hit 40 this last year, so that puts me a little bit over halfway. I'm about there. And that's, for me at least, kind of sobering. But for you, maybe, maybe you're way back here. You know, maybe you're in the early bits of your life, you know, and you still got way for, I know, see, you're laughing already. You're already laughing over, laughing. Everybody that's over 77 years old is just having a cackle at my expense right now. And you're entitled to it because you're the reason the life expectancy age is so high. So give yourselves a pat on the back. Way to go, everybody. But when you can put things in perspective... When you can put things in perspective, it makes things a lot more real. And the gravity of our decisions becomes far more intense when you can real. I have never felt that my life was more brief until I lived as much of it as I have. You don't realize how brief it is when you're actually living a short, brief experience. But after a while, as the speed accelerates, boy... You realize there, there's, just, there's just not much time. In the book of Psalms, the, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Wise, wise words. God, teach us to realize just how short our time here is so that we can take our knowledge and apply it. God, teach us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, thinking about intentionality, thinking about having a blueprint to build that house, the Apostle Paul himself says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly all over the place, right? If you're in a race, if you're on that track, there are lines, you have a clear path, and if you deviate from those, you're not going to reach the finish line. Okay? The Apostle Paul, every single step of his race, every single stop along that path to the end was made with intentionality. And we need to try for that as well. We need to be intentional. We're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy for a moment. I love this passage. I love this. I think this is a clear picture of what God presents for us today. Let's take a look at this. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Let's go to verse 19. He continues on, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You see, God gives us that choice, doesn't he? He gives us that choice. He lays it in front of us. Just like the wise man was wise and the foolish man was foolish. That is a choice that is laid out. Jesus just gave us all the tools. 
He just preached the ultimate lesson and gave us the tools. Now he would say, choose life. Now here's one thing I want to address. I want to reaffirm one of the truths of scripture that sometimes when we talk about these life decision things seem to get us down. I don't know if you've ever done something so long you just feel like you can't change. Sometimes we get a little apathetic. Sometimes, ah, well, I've come this far, you know, or I've done this for this long. It's like, why, why bother? You know, apathy kicks in. And I'll tell you this. I want to reiterate this today. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. It is never too late to start building well on that wall of our life. It is never too late. Look at the scriptures. I love the fact that the Bible does not sugarcoat the people that are in it. We see their successes and we see their failures. And even some of the greatest people of biblical history. Listen to some of this. David, King David, had his best friend murdered in battle. Put him on the front line so he would die. So he could steal his wife. David repented and continued to build well and would later be called a man after God's own heart. Elijah, who watched fire come from the sky and burn up a wet, soaking wet offering in front of the priests of Baal, got so depressed that he went into the wilderness to pout. God still met him where he was, brought him back, and Elijah continued to build well. You had Jonah, who ran, literally turned and said, Nope! Went the other way from God. And despite his hard heart, still followed through on what God called him to do and continued to build well. Can you see yourself in any of these people? Have we done that? Have we been there? You see, God wants to be your foundation, but the real crux of the matter is God has so much more for us. God has so much more for you. God has so much more for me. Have you ever taken, (laughs) have you ever taken a toddler on an Easter egg hunt? You ever done that? Up in the balcony, we ever done that? Taking a toddler on an Easter? Yes, yep, yep, yep. It's infuriating. (laughs) It is absolutely mind-numbingly infuriating. I don't know, maybe your experience is different than mine. I've done this like five, like with five different children, okay? And it's always the same story. You go out to the park or wherever it is, and you got all these beautiful eggs. And the cool thing about these eggs is there's crazy people that put money in them. And if a two-year-old gets an egg with money in it, that goes to me. That's the dad tax, right? The two-year-old doesn't need need money. Anyway, you see all these great things out there. And then you take this two-year-old, and, and, the, and the person says, go! And all the four and five-year-olds go out there onto the grass, or just the older kids. And your little two-year-old hobbles up, picks up the first egg that they find, and looks at it. <gasps> I got an egg! We, I got an egg. And I'm over here going, put it in the basket. Come on, look at all the other, put, put it in the basket. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, come on. And they're, oh, look, I got an egg. They're fixated on this egg. And of course, by now, you know, they're all, half the eggs are gone. You know, and you're like, oh, if you would just look up, you would see how much more there is. Sometimes, I feel like God is trying to lead us through an Easter egg hunt. And we get so fixated on one thing that if we would just look up and see everything else that he has in store for us, 
But we get so fixated on one thing. We get so focused on a seat on Sunday morning. Or we get so focused on, you know, an involvement that we, we just don't see the whole picture that God wants to open up for us. And that's what I would invite us to really do today. What are you building your life on? Are you building it on the rock? Because building on the rock opens up unlimited possibilities. We're going to close the series with this passage right here. We're going to close the series like this. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. Pulls all of this together. Let's see what he said. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Words of God. So better listen. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Who is the stone? That's Jesus Christ. He is the perfect cornerstone. He is the bedrock. He is the firm foundation. Build your life on him. And though the storms come, though the rains come down and the floods come up, you need never be shaken. Thy kingdom come on earth. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us through your word. Thank you for the example that Christ has set for us. And thank you for preserving your word throughout the ages. God, I would just pray right now that we would truly learn from your word. God, I pray that every single day we would approach our lives with the idea of building on a firm foundation. God, I pray that you would you would guide our decision-making processes and that the foundational understandings that we have for making these different decisions, God, that they would be solidified in what you would desire for us. God, just thank you for the time to be together this morning. May we draw closer to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.